Why don't you bore me with the details? What the hell, Freddy? What were we talking about? Many's the time I've dreamed of finding you like this. You just came back. Jesus, did you just think that up? I was thinking about letting you talk anyway. It's over. There's no reason to talk about it. I really don't want to talk about this. You notice things are right where you left them. That was nothing. I'm thinking of doing it again. Okay, I'm sorry. You're so secretive. If I don't go into that office every day, who am I? Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, gearing our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and manipulating people you don't actually like into elaborate situations where they cheat on their significant others and make themselves miserable while you defrost a freezer. I'm John Negroni, and uh, Will Ashton, is it? true that you were once diagnosed as bored uh, did you pick that because i gave you gruff about doing that as my yeah, intro? I, mean, I was like well fine if that's what you want it to be then who am i oh man who am i all right yeah i, I just i'm trying to predict what your interests for me are going to be and that was the one i predicted this time around so i i changed it you didn't predict it correctly i'll be uh, honest with you i don't want to get your hopes too okay. up too high i want to keep you hustling okay and uh, oh look over there it's mike overholz it's so great to see you although you walked over here with your shoes squeaking and you're covering your pants with your suit jacket. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. Truth be told, I was a little nervous. I've never done one of these funny podcasts before, you know, where you have to make jokes. Is that your Joel Murray impression? Yeah, I don't think it was too bad. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I give uh, my credit. Joel Murray, yeah, Joel Murray is more of just like, well, Memphis. No, Mike's, uh, Mike's me. much That was horrible. No, that was, that was not good, mm. John. Yeah. Uh, I gotta yeah, get the points to Mike on this one. He has more character. He has the voice a little bit down. Uh, yeah. I think he just liked it because he was more animated, and that's that's well, what that's what impressions fantasy, are. Huh? They're supposed to be animated <laughs> takes Not on. necessarily. Well, I mean, sure. you just liked it more because it was better. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Essentially, John just <laughs> <laughs> stick to your um, Joan impersonation, John. My Joan impersonation. Yeah, you said you it's said more, Joan. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't have a couch here. I don't know if I can like lie down and and do what she was doing in this episode, right? Um, I do have a question for you guys. I have a bunch. If I don't go into this podcast every day, then who am I? The guy still on nine other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah, um, uh, you have a, a fourth podcast now, right? Or third? No, your a third fourth one. What, what are you? What are you no. talking about? Uh, you have the what? anime podcast now. That's a secret. Well, you're not supposed to bring that up. Not, it's already. I didn't bring it up on Cinemaholics. It's uh, I mean that's debuted, right? It's not, you know, it's out there. Yeah, we have three episodes out. What do you? What, what am I gonna say? Okay, just just share the title. Anna Color May surprised. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's, so it's it's a an anime and manga podcast for in between drafts called Rookie Pirate Radio. It's out right now, and I've been doing manga recaps for One Piece with Travis Hymas, the uh, uh, anime editor, and. We uh, did a whole thing about uh, One Piece Odyssey, the video game. It's been ma- mainly One Piece lately, so yeah, that's happening. I know it's something that Will Ashen doesn't care about at all because you know I support it in spirit. I'm never going to listen to it because I don't watch anime. Nor would I encourage you to. You'd just be confused and sure. annoyed, probably. Um, but okay, so we're talking about season two, episode nine, six month leave, and this is. Uh, it's been a while since all three of us were here. Uh, so I kind of missed you guys, weirdly enough. It's been a while. Um, 
It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, so this episode uh, was directed by Michael Uppendahl, his first episode, but far from his last with Mad Men. He's directed a lot of episodes, uh, like one or two a season from this point. Uh, and we have uh, longtime Mad Men writers, Andre Jackman and Maria Jackman, also joining Matthew Weiner, uh, who is one of the main writers for this as well. So this episode came out September 28, 2008. It's set in August 1962. And I, I'll start, I, I'll say... There's a lot of really good comedy in this episode. Say what you will about the quality, but I, I was kind of busting a gut a couple times. What about you guys? Yeah, I don't know what you mean by say what you will about the quality, as if this is a, a lesser episode. I thought it was a good one. I think this episode is not that great up until the last, like, 15, 20 minutes. Hmm. Kind of John, that's a third of an S episode. Almost yeah. half of an episode for Mad Men. You're going to say it wasn't good? <laughs> it's about 40. So it's like, about, yeah, like 40, 45 minutes. And I'd say like a little over half of it. The first big chunk to me is kind of like it, it doesn't move very well. I don't think like it, it for me, it feels a little listless, especially upon the second watch. But the last that last whole bit, like when the three guys go to the bar and then you have the last couple of scenes that is like really, really great. I, I just, you know, that's when the episode hits its total stride. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see what you mean. I, I, maybe it's because it's it's been a bit of a break for me with uh, with Mad Men. But this, this, I'll, I'll be honest, I gave in to my, my inner desires and I enjoyed this episode so much. I kept going for a couple episodes. I'll have to rewatch it when it's we hard not do to. our recaps. I know. And yeah. And I, this is, I think, my favorite, like, this little span of a couple episodes is my favorite part of season two, for as much as I honestly don't like season two, um, which John has talked about a lot. Um, so this is just, yeah, it just got me started. I, I really like when the three guys go out. You know, a couple old pros, known each other for a long time, kind of feels like they have their own language. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just uh, like uh, three guys you might know on a certain mm -hmm. podcast, perhaps. I don't know what you mean. Oh. Oh, you mean a rookie pirate radio? There's two of us on that. Oh, well, I see. And some Mahalics. Sure. Um, that's hard doing a podcast with three people, but I love it. Well, I have uh, um, <laughs> one that's going to be ending fairly soon. Probably will be done by the time this episode comes out. That's right. And I've, I have noticed you've been a little bit more melancholic yeah. lately because I think you you know what's coming. Well, but. yeah. I mean, today is the after uh, we record this, uh, I'm going to be recording the last episode ever of Ain't Ogre Totes Ogre. It's, it's, yeah, uh, I know you don't cry, but yeah. I can wow. almost feel the sort of the, the whiff, it's you know, a, a little bit of a sniff, you know, a stoic sniff. Sure, it's the end of an era. I just can't believe it finally is ogre. You know what I mean? Like this whole yeah. time you've been what? promising us yeah, that it ain't, but I it know. is. Well, it ain't till it's ogre. That's the point, huh? Well, yeah, you know, like Don says, you got to move forward. Yeah, speaking of moving forward, I wanted to talk about uh, real quick the ratings. So I know I've, I've brought this up a bunch of how the ratings spike a bit in the middle of this season, and I always thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I did a little bit more digging, and I figured it out. I figured out why the ratings spike in the middle of season two, and they start to hit a higher threshold. And it's because Mad Men won its first Emmy around this time, and that is what got people coming out. Um, to be like, oh, what is this show? Like people were like, wait, what? And so it gave it the credibility it needed. It won the Emmy for best dramatic series, and that was that was all she wrote. Because yeah, from this point, I mean, once we get to uh, the gold violin, we really jump up, and then a night to remember the highest rated uh, of the entire season, save for episode one of season two, uh, and then now a six month leave also 
uh, pretty high ratings uh, relative to last season. Last season, the show struggled to hit over a million, you know, for most of it, um, but not so in season two. So we are we are in the thick of it. Also, I was going to mention this is a very like when I'm, when I'm talking about the comedy, like I'm not just talking about a lot of the jokes like, you know, Roger being like, is it Milwaukee, you know, and stuff like that. But also there's a lot of the dry humor, like Rachel with the Minkins bag. Um, there's a lot of like funny Mad Men situational comedy, like Don punching Jimmy Barrett and the whole thing with Freddie peeing his pants. There's a lot of good stuff here. So let's jump in. Uh, I like this episode, you know, again, because of the last 15 minutes. But it sounds like, Will, you like it a lot. Why, why do you like it a lot? What is it? What is clicking for uh, you with this episode? I mean, I would say I don't like it as much as A Night to Remember, the previous episode. But I think it complements that episode very well. I mean, they're, you know, kind of one the same. I think Matt Zorslice. Mad Men Carousel put it yeah. in the same chapter, right? right? Exactly, yeah. I see that. So, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's it's easy to kind of compliment one another. It, it, it seems a little sad that, I mean, for listeners, they won't notice this, but like we had kind of a, a break between, you know, with the Christmas season stuff between recording that last episode and recording this one. So I kind of wish we had watched these a little bit sooner from one another because they do kind of feel connected spiritually. But uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I did because I always watch the episode twice. So I watched it right after our conversation. But you guys don't want to do that. Well, I mean, because you have socialized or something. Sure. I don't know. I like to go in fresh, give my fresh opinion. I thought that was my contribution to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine is that like I watch it once and I don't take any notes and then I watch it again and I take yeah. a, way too many notes and then I delete the notes so that I can look at it. And then if I watched it twice, then it, you guys would give me crap, uh, you know, crap for just uh, watching it, having seen it before or whatever. Well, let's be clear. No. We'll give you crap no matter what, Will. I mean, yeah. Also, it would only give you a major crap if that second viewing you did it at somebody else's house sure. in the midst of a party. And then, uh, right. what, 2013 or whatever, 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, if you went back in time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so, uh, did you still have more to that answer to the question? Uh, no, I mean, I just thought it was like a solid episode. I didn't have uh, as much to say, but I thought it was All right. a good one. I don't know He's, if I'm he- like in love with it, but solid. He, he's drowning a bit, Mike. You might need to help him. Um, what, what, this, what the episode? I mean, John, you kind of set him up. I mean, this is a really funny episode. Just oh, even alone with the, with, I like that you brought up like the dry comedy. Um, there's just so many interactions, and I feel so comfortable with the characters at this point um, that now when you start to do stuff like you know Freddie Rumps in penis pants, you know, it's not this random thing or like oh, where's this storyline about? It's just kind of this isolated like holy shit, Freddie's penis pants like. This dude is a, is a doofus, and they even barely kind of set it up, right? They're just like, uh, I'm sad about my daughter who has bad boyfriends, and so I've been drinking all day, essentially. And uh, and then um, to see Pete spiral, yeah. What were you gonna say? Well, I mean, they kind of set up where he's you know kind of wobbling and stuff, and then he gives Sal like a huge glass of uh, whiskey, and he has a very comedic kind of like expression on his face. Uh, so I mean, you can tell something's a little off, but yeah, it, it does feel a little sudden when suddenly uh, mm-hmm. you know things turn south and his uh his pants become wet and <laughs> all that but isn't that how that, that that would go right it wouldn't be this like sure. you know you see science of it it would just you just show up and be like oh my god my coworker is is fucking plastered right now sure and yeah. then to see pete spiral and try to figure out what to do because just pete is the worst person in crises ever like he just has no chill about him is just like also so great 
it reminds me of like in flight one when he finds out his dad dies and he's frozen he's like what do i do what do i do and in this it's the same kind of dynamic where he's just like well, do it do, do i cancel it what do i what do i do and then peggy has to take control but of course in classic pete campbell fashion he uh you know takes all the credit and duck is just like it's a good thing pete was there took the controls threw peggy olsen in as if it was his call I, I struggled a little bit when I was like kind of piecing all the pieces of this episode together because it starts off with Marilyn Monroe, um, the newspaper story that she passed away. I believe it was August 4th, uh, either August 2nd or August 4th, forget exactly, um, when she passed away in 1962. And she Ironic timing. I just saw her house. I was in Palm Springs. Just want to throw that out there. I thought you were going to mention that you had just watched Blonde now on Netflix. Um, which I would never mention that. Well, you know, Roger probably would have had a little bit more sympathy for Marilyn Monroe if he had watched that new Anna Darmis picture. Um, I know, Will, that is a point of contention between you and me, uh, Blonde. I still haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm excited to see it once I uh, finally get a chance to do so. There's the contention. It's just just like, here's this movie that John and most people hate. I was like, I'm so excited to see it. No, I'm excited. I mean, I just don't know what you're going to do if I like the movie. I mean, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, take you to dinner and just be like, Will, we, you're going to take a six-month leave of this oh, podcast. Okay. <laughs> you're going to dry out. <laughs> I did see that um, earlier today, uh, not to date the podcast, it got nominated for, what, like 10 Razzies? Or that makes sense. Yeah. 10 seems like a low number, but anyway. It's yeah, so, so it's Oh, so I you think, didn't I like think, it either, Mike. Okay. It's good to know. It's, pre- it's pretty bad. Um I think one major thing about this episode that does kind of connect everything together, although it takes a while for it all to click into place, is people are hiding their true selves all over the place. It starts with Marilyn Monroe, you know, hiding how alone she felt, although, you know, not necessarily because she wanted to, but because that's the the peril of fame. Right. And I think all the characters are keeping secrets in this way. Don is trying to hide his marriage being on the rocks uh, Roger is hiding his affair uh, with Jane and uh, what he, how he really feels about Mona. Peggy is trying desperately to hide what happened with Freddie to protect him. Freddie is trying to really hide, uh, you know, how serious this issue is. But then also he's trying to sort of like pretend like it's going to be okay and that he has a plan. And that's why I think when he says that thing to Don about like, what am I going to no, know? Seriously, like, what am I going to do? I think he's like, that's really hitting Don because he's kind of being real with Don for a second, like giving him that chance. And I, I want to say if, if there's one thing that really brings the whole episode together for me, it's Joel Murray. I, I just think that he is so good in this show and it makes me kind of sad when this episode happens. Cause I'm like, Oh, going to miss you, Freddie. Um, I, I hope you come back, you know? And uh, yes, Michael and I have seen the rest of the show. So we'll, we know if he comes back, but obviously we'll, we'll keep that in the air. Okay, I was gonna look it up if he had any more episodes after this, but uh, uh, don't do that. Uh, you want? Don't you want the mystery, the the happenstance? I mean, I do know this is the last episode with um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the comedian, uh, uh, Jimmy Barrett. Jimmy Barrett. Yeah, this is the last time we see Jimmy Barrett. Is that correct? Nah, we're not gonna. We're not gonna say. It's all about the mystery. It's all about all the. Right, who knows? Fine. Maybe. All right, we'll fine. find out. <laughs> when yeah. when Freddie the. In the same vein, John, when when Freddie says, "What am when I when am I going to tell my wife?" I, he says her name, but I can't remember it. What am I going to tell Violet? Also, exactly. Oh, I thought you did the impression, Michael. What, what am I going to tell Violet? Don, seriously, what, what am I going to do? Just because you know it goes from you know him at the beginning of the dinner being like, "Oh yeah, well we'll move here, we'll do this." I hear Boston. Yeah, we'll go to Philly. Yeah. 
Yeah, Boston. And then they'd love to do what we do here. Then the realness sets in and he's realizing, man, my life is spiraling. And I mean, so many things we talked about with Mad Men, you know, you know, we are where we work and so much of personality in Mad Men is tied to this. So it's hard to Mm -hmm. see Freddie just kind of stabbed in the heart. Yeah, this uh, this whole episode reminds me of Death of a Salesman, and obviously that was uh, clearly like a prominent you know story for Weiner when developing these characters. Uh, although I was going to mention, um, this is one of the few Mad Men episodes, one of the rare episodes where we see pretty much all of the major characters have at least like one moment. Um, Peggy and Pete and Joan and Roger and Don. The only kind of major character we don't see is Cooper. You know, he just gets offhandedly mentioned. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, and, and Betty, you know, and, and all of that. So I have a lot of notes on this episode. Uh, where do you guys want to start? Was there anything uh, that you wanted to hone in on that you thought, uh, you know, because I, I could go all day on this. I, I I could go set by set, but I want to spare you two. I think I think Betty was interesting in this episode for me. And I think there's a lot yeah, to dive so- into here. <laughs> Yeah, let's set that up real quick. So so Betty, you know, we see a lot of her. We see, you know, every once in a while a scene where she's at home and she's kind of doing something and you kind of have to like a lot of these are like wordless scenes. Um, we see her like like I was saying before, like defrosting the freezer, doing like shelf lining, reading Ship of Fools. Clearly, like something's going on there. Uh, I have my interpretation of like what that's setting up and then what happens with her and Arthur and Sarah Beth Carson. But uh, yeah, did either of you guys have anything that kind of clicked for you with that? Yeah, you know, she's trying to just like, you know, I think it was a very crude reference that I thought of, but just like she's trying to like repiece herself together and make herself new, right? She's, she is like trying and she's avoiding taking care of the broken parts of her and now focusing on like, well, I can fix these little annoying broken parts of, of my home. But I do want to say I was blown. I wish I actually would have seen this episode or watched this episode back when I was like 20, because I worked at a place that had an old like freezer that we kept. It was like a kegerator and that freezer froze over so often. And it was my job to like, but I just like chipped at it with like a screwdriver. If I would have just known I could put a hot bowl of water in there. I don't know if you ever tried to frost those things. It is annoying. I have defrosted a coffin freezer, which is a little bit easier because you don't have all the dripping. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not fun no matter you know what, no matter how you slice it. Uh, that's that's interesting because yeah, the, the first thing I kind of picked up on was like, man, she is bored. Like you know, I think that a lot of this episode is when characters are uh, talking um, to each other or talking about either themselves or someone else, you can sort of switch it. So when Sarah Beth Carson says like, oh, he thinks I'm bored. I think this is like Betty is bored. You know, when somebody's talking about uh, Marilyn Monroe, they're talking about themselves. Uh, when Roger says like, or he's talking about like Don's marriage problems, Roger's talking about himself. There's a lot of that switching around. And with Betty, I think a lot of this is like, she has nothing to do. Like she is just so like, I think she is so conflicted about what's going on because she just literally like spends the whole day not doing anything because she finishes the housework so early and she doesn't want to spend time with her kids. She's too, she's too depressed for that. And this whole like Dawn thing, I think she's like, obviously like that excitement of her life comes from, you know, an aspect of him. And I think she hates that. And I think she's like struggling with that until the end of the episode where it comes together in in the sense where she's 
actually spending time with her kids and like teaching, you know, Betty how to do like the stirring and everything. And like, you know, while Carla does the vacuuming and like choosing to raise her kids instead of Carla, I think is like sort of the, you know, I guess we were supposed to take from that unless either of you disagree. But what, what do you think, Will? You're, you're, you're doing your Will scratching chin motif, which is one of my favorites. My, my motif? I didn't know I yeah. had motifs. Um, yeah, you have all kinds of things. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a big uh, part of this episode, as you mentioned, is like the idea of um, kind of keeping up appearances and trying to hide one's sadness or one's fear. And then like we have this sort of national story, like we said, with Marilyn Monroe, where people are lamenting the tragedy of it, but also not really recognizing the like irony of their own lives kind of being uh it maybe not as, as deeply tragic, but certainly similar as far as like not being able to voice their own things or uh, feeling they, they need to kind of keep appearances. And with Betty, yeah, I just like that. This is one of the first times where we really don't see her like made up. Like she's not wearing makeup. She doesn't have her hair kind of uh, dressed up for like the first half of the episode. I mean, it's just, it's very stark to see her kind of in this kind of barren, isolated uh, position and, and allowing herself to kind of be, uh, herself more in some respects, but also kind of hiding uh, herself and also trying to keep appearances at the same time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, another great showcase for uh, this character. January Jones. And January Jones as well. Um, yeah, I mean, and I definitely like seeing a lot more of Carla this time around. I feel like she's often, you know, as you would expect, a character doesn't really get a lot of time to shine. And so I really enjoyed her scene with Carla and getting to know more about her learning a little bit more there and uh yeah yeah we're getting more race mentions and like more acknowledgement of that in this era like we start the episode with hollis you know who mentions joe dimaggio uh, which is kind of a funny line and then um we also have carla as you mentioned we have floyd patterson the you know the boxer uh at one point that we get to see him so yeah but i mean also like uh there's all the acknowledgement that like hollis seems to be depressed as well and and that he yeah, it's, it's affecting him. Yeah. And then also um, Roger mentions to Don that uh, BBDO, one of the other ad agencies, has hired uh, you know, a black person. Um, they, don't, they don't say if it's a guy or a girl, but, you know, uh, either way, like, you know, Don responds like, I'm glad I'm not that kid. And, you know, uh, typical of that era, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, just like it, there is something just kind of ironic and tragic that you kind of use that opportunity to finally voice these feelings hoping to kind of have a moment of sympathy and they still even Peggy seems to be kind of ignoring him, which is right. Well, yeah, his line where he's just like, some people hide in plain sight is, you know, very, that's a very whiner sort of, uh, I think I would assume whiner wrote that line, but uh, I could be wrong. Um, but he is, of course, referring to like how Marilyn Monroe felt alone. And then the, the obvious parallels between Marilyn Monroe and Betty in this episode are are obvious. Like Betty is depressed. She's alone. She feels isolated. She's like drunk. She's, you know, clearly like not feeling well. And at, people look at her and they're, you know, Sarah Beth Carson looks at her. It's just like. Don's perfect, you know, and then she mentions a therapist. So they obviously will remind Betty that she has a therapist. And she mentions that like, oh, he thinks I'm bored. And Betty's like, bitch, you don't know bored. <laughs> like, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Um, and she's just like trying to hush uh, Carson away. Pisses Betty off so bad. Like, don't piss off Betty because Betty's going to Betty's going to turn your life into a dollhouse and she's just playing around with you. Um, but yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, Mike? Yeah, I, I just kind of bring up. Does that does that make Betty like a like a like a step cut queen? Like I don't understand. Like what what time do you be able to give to to Betty for what she does with yeah 
with her. She's but, just a mean girl. Uh, She's a real Regina George, you know, the name. Totally. Because I was, I was actually surprised when she was going through all those things that Betty just didn't snap on her there, which it would be very Betty, you know, just to have this, yeah, hear all this and think about how bad her life is and just have this emotional outburst. But it's even kind of scarier that she just internalizes it and just essentially ruins this woman's life. <laughs> or attempts to, at least. I guess we don't know what happens sure. yet. But, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Will, Will hasn't seen the next episode, um, you know. Well, maybe he has. Um, well, yeah, he, remember, yeah, remember, yeah, remember, uh, yeah, St. Patrick's Day 2013 at 3.37 <laughs> right. p.m.? Yeah, somebody had uh, Mad Men playing on a, on their, like, little Tamagotchi, and yeah. Will was just kind of peeking through over their shoulder. It, he didn't see anything, <laughs> but he heard everything coming out of the Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I was celebrating St. Patrick's Day, and someone had it on their Tamagotchi at the bar, at the pub, I should say, and just I was yeah. casually catching glimpses of it. Uh, yeah, that, that, seemed, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Right, right. Um, um, well, I was going to yeah, talk go about with the therapy thing. I, I like that uh, throughout the episode, we see people constantly kind of in that same position on the couch, like kind of like resting. I was going to mention that yeah. too. Yeah. So there are four characters are caught on the couch. Um, and yeah, clear like sort of connection to therapy. So Don is on the couch, uh, gets woken up toward the end. Freddie Rumson wakes up on a couch after he was drunk. Um, Joan is on the couch in Roger's office and Pete is on the couch just resting when Peggy shows up. So, and, and all of those, the context of all those scenes are about like how the characters are feeling uh, about a certain thing. But also Joan was on the couch when she's woken up to retrieve. The I said dress. Joan. Oh, you said Joan? I thought, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. I meant to say Betty. Betty was on the couch. Oh, Betty. Yeah. So. What mention. part was Betty on a couch? At the beginning when she's like drinking after she read the book and she's like laying on the couch and then she gets the door. But she's Oh not, yeah, but I was thinking more of like sleeping not, on yeah, the couch. But not but like sure, facing yeah. up, but yeah, she is face she's the one person on the couch but she's facing down. I don't know if that meant anything. Sure, you can throw that in. Yeah, sure. There's enough room in the gumbo. Um yeah, very, very, uh, very astute there. She's reading Ship of Fools by Catherine Ann Porter. I, I've never seen the movie, never read the book, so I had to look it up. And I mean certainly you can kind of see like why Betty would be reading this uh, both contextually. It was like a very popular book in 1962. Uh, very, very like if Oprah's book club was around back then, it'd probably be that kind of novel. Um, but uh, I looked it up and like the whole point of the book is like the characters are on a ship, you know, the ship of fools idiom, of course, but also um, it's about a bunch of people like searching for utopia, searching for, you know, a different way to get to a better place because this is a book sort of set around um, pre-World War II and like right before the Nazis, um, you know, took power. And, and this is a, a book where people think that they'll find happiness if they maybe go back to the past via nostalgia or if they go to a new place where things are exciting. And it kind of represents, I think, oh. Betty sort of wondering like what, where she should end up, like what's going to make her happiest going back to where she was, or if it's better, if she goes to a, to like a new place, right? Is that a commentary on people watching Mad Men in that first season? Think it would be a way to go back to a simpler time, but not realizing the complexities that lie therein. Sure. And being blindsided by like, Oh, this is a show that's actually like analyzing you, the viewer, you know, as much as the, the characters therein. So, yeah. I'm sorry, is this a Mad Men podcast or a Don't Worry Darling podcast? Why not both? Sure. <laughs> um, I did think of Don't Worry Darling during this episode just because, you know, like the yeah, the housewife being like, oh, I'm done. What do I do now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask um, as well with uh, Marilyn Monroe, like I know uh, she was like staying in like a hotel or like she was kind of 
privately excluded for the last few months for life. Was it six months? Is the title kind of a, 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 a nod to that as well, in addition to the six-month leave for Frank? I'm not sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure if that was um, – I'm not aware of that history that it was six months. I don't but, know if it was uh, six months. That That's why I'm asking. I don't know if it was six months. So. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Me I will say uh, at first, you know, I, I think it's interesting that at first you see the secretary as being really upset, right? And it sort of played off as like, as Joan says, like, I'm just another frivolous secretary. But I think that that's purposeful in the sense that I think what the episode is getting at is that these women idolized Marilyn Monroe, right? They, they modeled themselves after her. We have a whole episode earlier this season, right? About how the whole Playtex campaign was going to be around women wanting to be like Marilyn Monroe, like having that as a fantasy. And it's really hard when somebody you idolize and model yourself after commits suicide and reveals that the entire time they felt alone, they felt depressed, and they were willing to take their own life. And stuff like that, I think, is very, very, like, demoralizing, debilitating. So I think it's really smart to like hone in on that, that even Joan is affected by this. It's not like kind of the other things where like the secretaries are, are sniffing, you know, around the radio because of some, you know, tragedy that happens in the news. It's, it's really something that I think is like hitting deep, which uh, I think it was a good move yeah. for the script. And I mean, I thought it was pretty telling that, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mike, but, uh, that she was like, oh, she was so young. And I felt like, you know, throughout the season, she's been very kind of self-conscious about her age, about aging, mm-hmm. um, about getting older and like recognizing that like people only will often view her solely for her looks. And she's kind of uh, proven right in some respects because when she's having this kind of personal intimate moment, Roger just kind of comments on her looks and, you know, is being catty and all that. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was all very interesting. I also thought about like how all the secretaries are kind of like on the cusp of power. Like they're around all these men who get these big salaries and spend it how they want and do all these things. And if they're, you know, good, they get it spent on them by the men in the office. And so this idea of seeing Marilyn Monroe as the person who does have anything, everything, and you view yourself as, you know, I'm so close to that. Once I have that, I'll finally be happy. And then to see her kill herself, it's like, wow, she killed herself and I have this life. Man, my yeah. life is, is is so pathetic and so bad. And I think suicide does that to a lot of a lot of people, right? You compare your situations and especially with celebrities, you feel like your personal situation is worse. So like what is there what is there to live for? Right. And uh, Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I mean, looking at that headline from the newspaper that Don gets at the beginning of the day, it's like even sort of sensationalizing this very tragic news, it's like mm was it like assisted murder or suicide like it's they're like trying to like trying to figure out like the details suppose mourning the loss of this pivotal mm. iconic figure like actually like, like dealing with it reckoning with it instead it's like turned into sensational yeah sensationalized news story it's pretty sad um, and, and knowing weiner I, I bet that was like a real headline right i bet you that was it, it actually looked like a real yeah yeah, I wasn't able to dig that up, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they just found like an archive newspaper and printed it out. That's most likely because uh, it would have taken a lot of work too to try to just like create a new one. But anyway, I was going to mention too, because uh, since you mentioned the hotel room, I had in my notes that I think it's interesting that Don's hotel room at the Roosevelt looks exactly, not exactly, but like almost exactly like his room at home. And I think that's like extremely purposeful that oh, yeah. he wakes up and like, I think I think the point is that you're supposed to be a little disoriented like he is that like, oh, Don's. Oh, no, this is a hotel room. And like that becomes plainly obvious. No, yeah, I had the same experience because like when that first shot came out, I was like, huh, did things actually kind of work out with like off camera that we, you know, 
missed this moment where Don's actually back in the house. It's like, nope, he's at the hotel. That makes sense. Yep. <laughs> he's in the dog. Yeah. House. And then yep. not long after that, right? Like they're talking about Marilyn Monroe in the, in the elevator. And Don mentions how suicide is disturbing, right? And so you have to figure that he's thinking about Adam in this instance, because Adam, of course, killed himself in the first season. And in, I noticed this on the second watch of this episode that Don is staying, also staying in a hotel in the city on the fifth floor, like his brother did. And so that not 5G, but 508, but still, that's like really, really close. I will note for the record that Will pointed in the air because he was. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was very uh, astute of you. Um, <laughs> but you think he requested that or you think that was just a coincidence? Like he was just like, do you have anything well, on when the I fifth saw, floor? Well, that's the thing. When I saw the, the number was 508, I was like, huh, 5G. At first I was like, that's probably a coincidence, you know. But then I think like the fact that he mentions the thing about suicide right after this, that that's what started to make me think, oh, OK, I think I think that is actually like a purposeful decision. No, no. I mean, I mean, creatively, I think it was purposeful. I meant for Don. Do you think he requested when he got to the hotel? It's like, do you have anything oh, I see what you're saying. on yeah, the yeah. fifth floor? It's like, why? I doubt. No, no. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he, <laughs> that's that's not our guy. <laughs> He's not that uh, ruminative. Um, not to pull back the curtain too far, but my apartment number is 508. No way. Think, wow. think about that, bro. What's, I hope uh, you don't also live at 152 Riverside. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, um, John, you know my address. It is. <laughs> and then Michael doxed himself. Um, I, I do I do want to mention, I really like when Peggy, uh, she, she mentions how like, oh, it's a good thing we didn't run the Playtex campaign. Like right after they're kind of like, you know, being a little doing their whole like, well, what a sad thing for Marilyn. And then Peggy gets very like, you know, she has her little bit of like business first kind of attitude. And you can see it's the way that Don reacts. It's like you can interpret multiple things from it. For me, I see at first I, I think you see pride, right? It's just like, ah, she's, uh, you know, my real protege. But I also think Don is like low key, a little scared of her a little bit like if there's anybody who could take my job or if there's anybody who I think like actually is like kind of dangerous, it's Peggy because like she is this young and she's picking up on stuff like this. And you notice too, like he looks at her twice as he's walking away. So I had to note that uh, maybe I'm being a little bit like overzealous there, but yeah, I think, I think maybe a small part of Don, it's like pride mixed with feeling a little threatened almost. I think you're exactly right. I interpret it as like he, he himself hadn't exactly thought about it yet. And it was like, oh, wow, she thought of this. Oh, no, I didn't think about this. Yeah. Or it wasn't my first thought. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm like so in my feelings right now because of what's going on at home that uh, I'm slipping up at work. Uh, maybe. I, that might be a little bit of a stretch because we find out like he's chairing the blood drive. So clearly he has plenty to do at work. <laughs> I love that delivery from Roger. He's like chairing the blood drive. <laughs> and like Don's like, God damn it. <laughs> that is pretty pathetic. Uh, speaking of which, I hope uh, our blood drive goes a bit smoother than the one in this episode uh, that we're, we're doing. I think I'm aiming for 100% participation. Yeah. yeah. Will, I want you to go onto the street and find anybody you can, dollar ahead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who wants to be a Who podcaster went? for a day? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does Will keep the dollar? <laughs> yeah. um, also, I was kind of uh, wondering too, like, you know, he's not seeing his kids as much. And so I did write down, like, does he see Peggy as more of like a daughter? But then I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it goes that far. I, I, I don't think he like sees her as progeny. I think it's something it's more of like 
his like successor like the next generation which, which sometimes you can read into like children but i don't know i guess i i got up into that because i was thinking to you about the later scene he has with sally which look i know michael well, well sidebar um will doesn't cry as he claims all the time like i don't cry crying during movies they said i don't it's not they don't will yeah well, you know, Will Will cries, you know, probably in private, you know, probably in secret, kind of like Marilyn Monroe. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he, I have a feeling he cried when Sally was like, hey, you just came back. And you're just going to leave again. It's a touch I mean, scene. I could see it. It'll I go by just it. like that. The tears probably just like got caught up in the bottom of those glasses rims. Will's like coughing like really severely. for <laughs> 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 Don't do it. <laughs> I, I did I did I did have a thought though with you know the view Peggy as as a daughter or not and I just think Don doesn't give that big of a shit about Sally I think he does when he when he does and most of the time he doesn't well it reminds and, me like when he looks at Sally as like you know an extension of himself he does do that at times well I think Don is you know Don is Don so he's so concerned with like you know death the end of his life the end of his career probably is, is actually probably the bigger thing and someone like don is going to want to control what the death of his career looks like and that looks like training and having someone to replace him that he absolutely is responsible for so then he can still feel better about himself when he doesn't have any more good ideas well i was gonna ask i mean i i feel like with don and peggy at this point he just sees her as like a peer and and certainly has more respect than he would for probably most of the other colleagues that he's working with uh at this point but i was more curious to ask you guys about what uh don is feeling towards uh jane at this point like i feel like their scenes together have a little bit more ambiguity as far as like does he look at her like a peer does he look at her kind of like a, a father-daughter sort of thing is he he doesn't know her at all i know but that's what i mean like <laughs> i love that line yeah. i just i love when she's like i hope you know that i can be this great he's like look bitch <laughs> like i don't know you I don't give a shit about you. You are like replaceable. No, but um, I think there is like the Jane stuff in this is very interesting. First off, uh, I think it has been hinted at and, and I think we kind of get a little bit of a clear indication that she is Jewish um, and she, you know, the whole Minkins thing um, certainly uh, kind of like takes Don a little bit like you, you clearly don't know Don. <laughs> If you were going to get something from Minkins, like she doesn't know that Minkins used to be a client clearly uh, and that there's a little bit of bad blood there. But uh, in in terms of the Jane stuff, there is a little bit more of like a softening between her and Don. And according to Weiner, part of uh, the episode was supposed to have a misdirect to make the viewers think that like, oh, maybe, you know, Don is going to have something going on with Jane. But I never picked up on that. I think that's something that they might have intended, but I don't think it comes through at all. I I mean I think there's definitely something there. Like I picked up some some stuff, but I mean I didn't know if that's where they were going or if that was just something that they were kind of like potentially hinting at because Dawn's in this vulnerable place and there's this woman who's like you know very kind of dotting and caring for him. If he was going to be you know kind of caught up in a moment of weakness, certainly Dawn's uh, known to have affairs kind of on a whim as we see this season. So I wasn't uh, I thought it was a possibility, but it didn't seem likely. I just didn't quite know that was being hinted at in the earlier part of this episode. I, I saw it, it was like one way. I think I, I saw Jane maybe flirting with him. Um, but also I think that's just how Jane does her job because that's how, what she thinks secretaries are supposed to do. See, I disagree. And I do just want to say it's, it's funny you say Don has uh, affairs on a whim. Ah, boy, well, you don't know nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, 
I will just point out, I do not think Jane has that kind of thing. I think Jane is treating him like she's being a bit of a mother figure to him because I think that she and Roger are sort of like trying to be parental to Don. Um, so, you know, as we find out at the end of this episode, she and Roger have been sleeping together and a lot of things in this episode will click into place once you realize that. Right. So the fact that Roger is sort of like, Oh, should you ask the missus, you know, clearly like once Jane found out about what's going on, she told Roger and Roger is playing it off. Like he figured it out on his own of like, I know what's going on. You're, you come in too early, you know, like, no, Roger Roger doesn't pay mm. close enough attention to anything to like pick up on stuff like that, honestly. Yeah. But also, I think why he would and he Jane know that are, he comes in early? Sorry. Yeah. He, how would Roger, Roger comes in at noon? <laughs> no, yeah. But also, I just, yeah, I think that they're treating Don like, you know, the goofy kid and the, that she's kind of trying to be not treating him like a boyfriend, but treating him like a son. Yeah. I mean, they're, and I feel like that's kind of uh, part of Roger's whole complex, right? That he constantly lives in his father's shadow. He's seen as a son himself. So he kind of like his dad drank more than Don and him put together. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like there is some sort of like complex there for him too, where he kind of wants to be his own man, but he's, you know, living under his father's shadow. A father, I mean, I don't believe we've ever seen or may not ever see. I have no idea, but, uh, yeah, no, I think that stuff is interesting as well. I was just kind of chuckling to myself thinking of like, uh, Roger giving the tip about Mickens to Jane, it's just like, huh, he really seems to like Mickens. He goes there a lot. Maybe you should give him some shirts from there. <laughs> I did. I see my <laughs> I definitely thought that it was Roger's idea to do the shirts um, and that that was where Jane got the idea, because I don't think she had that initiative. But I just I just have the feeling that she's the one who chose Mankins because she's Jewish. And like that was like her thinking and she didn't realize. And no, I get that. I, I don't think I don't think Roger would have told her to do that. No, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, I'm just goofing around. I just think it's funny. The idea of like him just not being aware of that and just being like, oh, he really spends a lot of time at Mankins. He must like that shop a lot. You should go over there. <laughs> yeah. That'll really cheer yeah, him really up. Likes, he even mentions this guy Tilden Katz. You know, like he's a big fan. <laughs> like that guy. He wants to be him. <laughs> oh man we'll get to that huh uh so now uh the freddy scene um which uh I, where do you guys want to start with that <laughs> um because uh yeah freddy freddy's very drunk he says that his oldest turned 30 um that she has had a bunch of bad boyfriends and so she's getting a little bit like in a spinster sort of mindset and he's been drinking a lot and you know he's been drinking throughout <laughs> this season uh, for the first time i kind of I kind of was wondering if like maybe maybe the reason he drinks is because like he's trying to hide like they, they get to mention this episode that, you know, he was a World War Two veteran, but also like he killed 15 people and like you see Freddie and he's just like kind of a happy go lucky guy. I wonder if like part of the reason he drinks is to stay that way because he mentions that like he keeps up with the clients like he comes off like a, as a fun drunk, but you get the sense that he thinks that when he's sober he's not like that because then like the reality starts to cruise in. And I think that's connecting too with the Marilyn Monroe stuff with uh, the depression of people trying to hide who they really are. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, I think it's about like keeping up appearances. And I think for him, he feels like he can't really do his job fully unless he's like drunk and being kind of goofy and, you know, uh, telling jokes and all that stuff. And I feel like there's also part of him that like, because he's part of the older guard that, you know, like we said, like, they would drink all the time, even more so than Don and Roger do. Like, I feel like he feels like he kind of needs to do that to kind of keep up appearances. But now, like, and there's probably some anxiety, too, about, like, you know, like, there's these new younger people coming into the office. The sense of, like, his job isn't maybe as stable as it once was. And that's maybe fueling his anxiety and maybe his fuel to, to drink. But 
yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, it's just him trying to keep up appearances and later, ironically, trying to keep up appearances that he's like, no, I'm sober. I can, you know, I can cut back on drinking whenever I want to and all this stuff. So it's, yeah. yeah. I think the line for me that was key about Freddie's, uh, like, mind space was uh, when he's talking, like, he's making excuses and he does say, like, oh, I've never done one of those funny type speeches before. Um, because that seems to be like a pretty common pitch that gets used in Mad Men by, you know, people like Peggy or, or Don, or even just in, you know, pitch meetings, people are kind of bringing up those ideas. And Freddie is so senior and advanced in his career. It's kind of crazy. You're like, oh yeah, you, you're the old school guy. You, you, you're not on the cutting of innovation and, uh, you know, people can do that better than you. Like you just, you're, you're old, which again repeated theme in, in Mad Men and it was really interesting just to throw that one line in there yeah because he's he you see that he's good at his job but like yeah I think you're exactly right Mike because he even says like shouldn't the artwork come first and I think that that's kind of showing that he's like kind of set in his ways whereas like no I mean you know Peggy and Sal seem to be like the new dream team on campus and I part of me really wishes we could have seen Peggy do the Samsonite pitch um I'm curious where that's going like what why do you hate your Samsonite why is it empty fill it up um but we don't get to see it. I think that that's intentional because this is not supposed to be a celebratory moment for Peggy. And so I think it would be a confused message if we did see it. And, you know, it'd be kind of weird. But, you know, still, I kind of want to see it because I love I love seeing I love seeing Peggy thrive. Uh, it's one of my favorite moods in Mad Men for sure. John, when you started the segment, you asked us where, where we wanted to start. And exactly where I want to start is discussing where Freddie's pee stain in his pants started. Did anyone notice how low that was on his pant leg? Yeah, he's if you get what I'm saying. Oh man, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know what he used to kill those 15 Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> A certain type of energy that is uh, very big. Yeah, um, yeah. It takes me yeah. back to when he played the song with his zipper. Like, goddamn, man, you can't be that violent near near the goods. If, he probably if has to use got. that zipper a lot, you know, because yeah, he can't walk around sometimes with the way things are going. <laughs> but I was wondering, like, why are people like watching him as he's walking? It's like they must do that all the time. They just want to catch a glimpse. Sure. Um, um, yeah, but no, I was gonna say. I mean, I did appreciate that that scene, like uh the, the squeaking of the shoes is i i feel a very point in this like the idea like he feels he can hide this thing but like it's so obvious and he's just like trying yeah. to like you know walk through and then like he even says something just like well another day in the books or something that's like that's it for today yeah, that's yeah. it for today <laughs> that's it for today <laughs> yeah i mean and, and uh, obviously because he's been passed out for a long time he's so unaware that like you know, this is, you know, pretty much everyone in the office knows and that word's kind of spreading like wildfire already. And yeah, it's 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 kind of funny, but it's also just kind of sad, which is I feel like how this whole episode is like kind of funny, kind of sad the whole time. Yeah, you get a nice range of those emotions, too, in the office. Like, you know, Peggy's horrified. Sal is laughing hysterically and Pete is disgusted. But, you know, but uh, the, but... Yeah, I mean, did you think Sal, though, was like actually laughing or do you think he was like kind of like keep like playing it up a little bit? I think he found it genuinely funny. Okay. Like uh, those were some real, like, and I just, again, the comedy of it. Cause like in context, like they just found out like Marilyn Monroe passed out and didn't wake up. Yeah. And so I think that's why Sal's just a bit like, is, is he dead? Sure. <laughs> you know? Like there's a little bit of that horror. Uh, okay. But like when Pete is like, he's not dead, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, oh, it's very funny. Yeah. I also think that was like the different generations of workers there with like their di like different opinions. Right. Sal, a little bit more experience, been around the boys more doesn't take it seriously so he's laughing you know yeah, then there, yeah. there's Pete who, who came up and you know is you know 
kind of the duck protege who just gets mad at things. And then there's Peggy, who's the youngest and has worked like owed a lot to Freddie and is really defensive and worried about him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting when, uh, yeah, Freddie says later, it's just like Pete Campbell. <laughs> Never thought I was in his way, you know, and it's like, I mean, who isn't? <laughs> like, well, it just seems like Pete will, uh, he'll step uh, over his anybody. dad. Mm. I will say, um, uh, the ghost of his dad, I think is in his way a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's different than his dad, bro. <laughs> Mm. I, was uh, thinking, I wanted to ask though when's the last time you guys peed your pants in public in public i don't think i've ever peed my pants in public um it's, it's, get out of here even when you're a kid i was saying it had uh, to be yeah, like I when I, I was like in elementary school or something like i can't be like, i was in i had to have been in diapers wow well john you wore diapers until 19 so that doesn't really <laughs> give us much who said i stopped oh man um <laughs> um i was gonna compliment you uh john you're uh your Joel Murray impressions getting better there. I was just kind of easing into yeah, it. And there you, you guys go. just wrote it off immediately. Well, I mean, before uh, it was not as good. Now it was a little bit better that time. So I, I, I liked it. Um, Try to give you a compliment yeah. and then you get mad at me. So what's going on? <laughs> I was just wondering where to go next. Um, well, I was going to say that, like, uh, I think it's interesting that, like, when Don hears the news about uh, Freddie peeing his pants, like, he also laughs, like, pretty hard. And then, oh yeah, he kind of he doesn't take it that seriously actually. Like he's a little bit just like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, get out of um, town. Uh, interesting too, then, though, when he walks into the yeah. office, we don't see who's in there uh, yeah. until like we see Don kind of reacting of just like, usually, uh, you know, like I know about these memes or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. But then he scolds the other guys, you know, for laughing and you know because he knows. Yeah, he, has he sticks up. Yeah, but I think you can clearly take from that that's like because especially when he says like it's just a man's name, right? Like mm-hmm. again, yeah. he's not talking about Freddie necessarily. I think he cares uh, about Freddie, but he's talking about himself. Yeah, like that, that to me is like what keeps coming back. Personally, I felt that line was a little heavy-handed. You know, knowing the writing, it was and, very PSA. It yeah. was very just like you know, like you're in elementary school. Uh, you know, Will just beat his pants. He's not there, but like mm. we like bring in like the video, well, like the TV, and it's just like. You know, a bullying PSA, basically. It's just like, hey, cut that out. <laughs> you, you have to remember, too, that specifically Dick Whitman has a history of being himself. That's, ooh. Yeah, that's right. Well done, yeah. Michael. Yeah, no wonder, so you know. Wow. I think, yeah, it's really getting to him. And I think, that too, like, there is a hypocrisy there of, like, yeah, Freddie gets drunk at work. That describes a lot of people. It's Sterling Cooper, like on a day to day basis. And it is a little bit of like, if it could happen to him, I mean, come on. Exactly. It's like you're younger, you're drinking the same amount as him. Just like see, see you in 20 years when you're pissing yourself, Harry Crane. Yeah. I mean, it also like they're obviously, you know, so uh, Don also has that same insecurity about his age and like his status. And, you know, like, like when uh, Freddie is just like, Monday will come sooner. Than you'll expect. I mean, that's also true for, you know, age and aging out of the business, as it were. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it seemed like a kind of warning, like, you know, I'm out, but you guys might be out too someday. You never know. So they got to enjoy the moment. And it's fitting that we're recording this on a Monday morning. <laughs> I like how quick uh, Don, you know, kind of deflects when, you know, Betty's just sort of like, well, what do you want to do? Like when they have their little confrontation and he's just like, I don't know, you know, like I'll say that I have an account in Philly and they, they're putting me up except for the weekend. And she's just like, do you just come up with that? And he deflects immediately. He's like not even engaging with it. He's just like, or I could just come home. And clearly like that his mentality for Betty is like move forward. 
Like he hates being in this like transition or he hates being in this limbo. It's driving Don crazy because he wants to be like moving forward in some way. And you can tell like when he says later to Roger, like, honestly, I was just relieved, you know, like he doesn't feel bad. Like he doesn't feel bad about what he's done for him though. It's just like, he wants something to happen. And, you know, he doesn't feel like he can leave her because he's not in love and it doesn't make sense, right? And he doesn't want to admit what he did. He's keeping a secret. But then on the other hand, he wants Betty to make her mind up because I think to him, it's just like, fine, if Betty wants to divorce me, whatever. Like, you know, that's going to be her and she's going to have to deal the brunt of like her doing that to him without, you know, supposed proof that he was unfaithful. Um, but uh, yeah, I think either way, he's just sort of like balls in your court, you know, and like it's it's not fun for him. Um, but yeah, he's a I- jerk. I don't know if I would necessarily say that he doesn't feel bad at all. He does I think say a little bit. Fi- yeah. Yeah. He's like, because, sometimes I, mean, I do. I think of like in times of my life when there's been like bad things happen, like cutting to today's like global economy and all these layoffs that are happening. My company has gone through two rounds of them and you know, I, I've survived both of them, but I remember like thinking like if, if, if I did get laid off, there would be a bit of relief because you know, there was like kind of like an answer or like all these things you've been worried about for so long. Like you finally yeah, have exactly. an end result for it. So I think that's really what he's saying there is like, you know, this has been going on for so long. I've had this double life for so long. It's just kind of nice to not have to worry about it anymore, but mm-hmm. not, not, not trying to define, defend on it all. You know, I, you want I think to that's a good interpretation though. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention that it's kind of weird how like when Betty is like trying to break into his desk that like, as soon as like she makes a loud noise, Carla had to have been like hovering outside of that office. This is a very minor thing, but she literally is like, Bobby. And I'm just like, God damn, Carla. Like, <laughs> also, was it a setup? You know, hmm? Was it a, does she know that it's Betty in I there? And she's just thought. waiting for I was her a moment. A little bit like, is she kind of, you know, because she's, she's a little prepared. She's just like, you know, I've been married for over 20 years. And Betty's just like, look no they're not doing this you know but then i like how betty does apologize like she's very mean um but she's like immediately just like no no i'm sorry like it's showing that like she is a human being even though uh, she can be a very uh bad human being <laughs> um yeah so why and, do you guys Betty's think- always sorry you can no no go. go ahead go ahead i was gonna say betty's always been i think a little bit more sympathetic to quote unquote the help mm, interesting interesting i mean do you think there's a little bit of like a kind of a similarity between how like she probably had a black housekeeper nanny the way that sally does and is Mm -hmm. kind of like seeing a certain pattern play out because she's talked about like the issues she's had with her mother um and you know she might kind of see like the same kind of thing happening with sally actually because it looks like sally's upset because her dad isn't around um bobby doesn't seem to care he's just like whatever leave me alone um, but Sally, you know, like going with Carla in the very first scene with Betty. And yeah, I just wonder if she's a little scared about like what will play out if she doesn't yeah. kind of change things. She's seen this movie before. Yeah. It's called Ship of Fools. Came out in 1965. Um, not true. I mean, it did come out in 1965, <laughs> but it doesn't really relate to this. Um, that I was going to analysis. Uh, <laughs> I was going to let Don, uh, I was going to let um, uh go to something with Don. But before we do, uh, I did, I did want to ask you guys, why do you think, uh, Betty stages that whole situation for Sarah Beth Carson to uh, probably sleep with Arthur, you know, like you see it on her face. Like she goes to the stables and as soon as she's just like, Oh yeah, we could all hang out. And then her face changes. Like she's pretending to be happy. Why do you think she's doing this? I, I have my theory for it, but you know, 
I know we said before, like, yeah, she's mean, but it but obviously something else has to be going on here, right? I think it's a little bit like an experiment where like she's so mad at Dawn and doesn't understand how a person could do this. And so she's setting two people up to see, okay, what makes you do this? And do you actually do this? Also, maybe this is a bit of a reach. Maybe she's also trying to find some sympathy for Dawn. And she's like, well, you know, people do this. And it's not just because he's such a bad, bad person, but people, people do this. Like this person who I don't think would do it is maybe going to do it. Well, related to that, then do you think she's having, she's trying to like cheat on Don by proxy of like, I'm not going to do it, but I can like make it so somebody else does and then see what happens. I was kind of wondering about that as well. Cause I mean, we have seen Betty be kind of skittish about having an affair outright. I think it's because she has this sort of fear of like, well, if I have an affair, am I any better than him? Like, am I just kind of repeating, you know, am I a hypocrite for you know, uh, worrying about this and like, uh, I also think she's smart enough to realize if she gets caught, like she's, you know, the consequences are more dire for her. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really worth the risk. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it is, uh, part of that. I think it's also her trying to kind of regain some sense of control that she's lost since, uh, you know, losing Dawn. Like we said, she seems to be kind of, uh, not really in a place where she feels like that sense of stability or that sense of like, uh, purpose in her life. I feel like this is something that could kind of drive her a little bit that she can kind of, like you said, experiment and see where things can go with this sort of hypothetical situation. And yeah, I mean, people are probably going to get hurt in the long run, but it helps Betty somehow. So I guess to her, it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, it's going to make me stronger. You know, fuck. That's the thing, too. If, if she if she views herself a little bit too much as Tara and then views Dawn as Arthur, I wonder, too, if she's, she wants to see how it feels if he sleeps with somebody else. Um, that being you know, Sarah Beth Carson. And I wonder if part of her is sort of being like, how would I feel, you know, in the, in that situation? Um, I don't know, like maybe to what Mike was saying, is it some kind of like sympathy play or some sign of, I just want to understand people and I don't care. I don't think she cares about either of them. I think that she's straight up like Sarah Beth Carson. She wanted a little bit of a tiny bit of revenge for kind of being so like dismissive and, and sort of being like an annoying, you know, chatty Kathy to her. Um, yeah, Betty, Betty's dangerous. You got to be careful around her. That's for sure. Um, Okay, so we get the whole thing where the three guys, the three buddies, the the Mad Men men, um, oh, go yeah. out for a night on the town. And yeah, this this to me is when the episode starts getting good. This this is like when I start getting into it more mm-hmm. for sure. Who's uh who in the scenario? Well, who's get who's getting a six month leave? We are, I think we established earlier that it was you, Will. So sure. I guess you're you're Freddie. All in right, this case. so I'm gonna pull on my bowler hat then, and then who are you two? I guess, guess that makes me Roger, and Mike is Don. I guess there you go. Mike is pretty secret. No, yeah, that's true. But I'm also having sex with one of your 19 year old coworkers, John. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, are you also engaged to that? <laughs> like um, time, well, not huh? yet. I got my own Mona, Hannah, trying to figure stuff out, man. <laughs> wow, um, that's weird. Uh, yeah, so, so I guess that answered your question. Uh, so where are we going first? Uh, we're going to go to, uh, I guess, a underground casino, um, where the, the password is not swordfish, unfortunately. Um, I'm sorry. First, we're going to fire somebody for drinking too much by going out on the town and drinking with them. But that's, that's kind of a common practice, isn't it? To like send somebody off. Right. I mean, and, they, I mean, I mean, they, they called attention to that. Cause like he, like, uh, Freddie was even kind of willing to be like, all right, I'll like stop. And they're like, no, no, no. This is your like last hurrah, man. Let's go for it. And they're like, oh, okay, let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, I think there it, is. It a, is ironic. There is that like uh, yeah, it's ironic, but there's also I think like that old guard kinship 
You know, I don't think Roger really wanted to get rid of Freddie, but I think he's doing it because he's being overly cautious. And it, it is interesting what, how Roger like behaves in this episode. It's it's not always intuitive to like wh- how we understand him. Yeah, I but, mean, well, it always felt more yeah. like a formality. Like, well, we kind of have to yeah. fire you. Like, I mean, you know, we can't kind of keep this going. But you know, that doesn't mean we can't have a good time. It's like one thing off of Roger's plate. Um, I think it's like also a mental battle with within Roger of like, okay, what what fight do I want to fight? Like, would I rather? Fight yeah. for Freddie, or I'd rather fight for the fact that I want to marry this secretary. Like, what's going to make me, you know, I don't want to have to deal with both these things with Cooper. I'd rather just have one thing. True. And I also think that, you know, I, when it comes to Don, you know, he clearly is pretty loyal to Freddie. And, you know, Freddie says that whole thing to him, just like, I'm going to miss you. You know, you're really talented. I think it genuinely flatters Don. And I think in a similar way, he probably owes a lot to Freddie as well because. You know, we still don't, you know, know yet in the show um, how Don kind of came up with Sterling Cooper, but you can kind of infer that, you know, Freddie was one of like the OG copywriters who probably, you know, was very helpful to Don or was somebody who was like really grateful to him or helpful to him. So, you know, clearly like Don respects Freddie and acknowledges that he's really talented. He trusts Freddie enough that when Freddie points out that Peggy has talent, Don listens. And I think, yeah, I think Don has respect for Freddie as like a writer and knows that he's good at his job. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, yeah, you can tell that like Freddie understands that mutual respect because as soon as Don kind of steps in with Roger, that's when Freddie's just like, oh, like I can't talk myself out of this. Like I'm, I'm done. And it's really sad. Like, cause you can see Don wavering. You can see Don being like, like looking at Roger, be like, bro, he's making some good points, dude. Like that thing about your dad, harsh, but fair. <laughs> like, it's pretty funny. Dick money bags. Yeah. Oh no, Dick Dollars. Mike Dick Dollars. Yeah, that's what we should have done for our names on this episode. We didn't do yeah, that. Mike Moneybags. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wilden Cats. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, would you like to, for the record, to share what your name is for this episode? <laughs> what's that? Oh, I mean, we would can. you like for the record to share? I mean, you could start. Yeah, because I'm. Just <laughs> I know what off show you've yeah. been watching. Well, I haven't watched the show at all. Uh, I can't. I haven't either. I, I, I entered the room as Mindy Kaling's Velma. And then I did and Velma Will- Dinkley's Mindy to kind of play off of that. <laughs> and John yeah. say John. Yeah, you know, when you don't got something, don't give it. Um, I, I was going to mention to you that I think it's funny that when they go into there, like Roger, like instinctively asks uh, Freddie for five bucks. But then he's like, oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> like, because he just fired him. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Really uh, Don. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely, definitely noticeable that Don says his name is K- Tilton Katz when he's trying to, ref- you know, a very anti-Semitic uh, joke that Don makes, obviously, because they're making up names related to like rich, you know, people with money. And so the anti-Semitic trope of, you know, Jewish people controlling banks or whatever. Um, but of course, I think that the Minkins thing has like triggered that response of like, I wish I was that guy. You know, I wish that I had gone with Rachel last season i mean he tried but like she shot him down but i think there's a lot of that yearning you know of like uh i could have avoided this whole thing with betty if i was with rachel and now instead because he even says later of like i wish i was in love then i know what to do and it, it seems like he's resolute now it's like i would leave betty for somebody that i love if you weren't for you meddling kids <laughs> <laughs> and your mad men men podcast <laughs> um yeah so then they're get they're getting super drunk. Part of me wonder too, like if they were doing that because they 
I, I, I kind of think that like Roger and Don are feeling maybe more of a Roger probably is feeling a little bit slighted about what Freddie said about them not drinking as much as his dad. And I wonder if that's part of like why he's like getting a little bit extra, you know, toasted there. Uh, but you know, that might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I was going to mention too that, um, so the waitress who shows up in the casino, not the second person who's kind of like somewhat flirting with them, but the first person who t- comes to take their orders, that is Cater Gordon who is a writer in the show. Uh, I think she started writing for the show around this time and then going into season three. However, uh, Cater Gordon went on uh, later to accuse Matthew Weiner of sexual harassment. Um, This was in 2017. Um, She was fired from the show in 2009, I want to say. And, you know, since has like kind of come out and said that like, you know, Weiner was essentially pretty toxic. Um, I'm not aware of any other allegations of sexual harassment against uh, Weiner, but certainly, like, it's uh, pretty sad, you know, to see this happen. And, like, there's even, like, if you listen to the commentary on this episode, like, you hear Weiner kind of say some, like, pretty sexist stuff about Kato Gordon. It's like, oh, she's you know, a bit easy on the eyes, you know, more sexist in, like, context of, like, later on. Um, I think part of the allegation is that he was, like, asking to see her naked and like said that she owed it to him and uh yeah pretty despicable behavior so yeah just wanted to put that out there and make you guys uh sad um sad for kater gordon i mean yeah i mean we talked about that a little bit in season one right yeah i think we mentioned yeah, it, yeah. but I, I, it's been a while so i wanted to make right. sure no it's definitely full... worth discussing to be sure yeah so what do you guys think matthew weiner's canceled i think it's we have to I mean, decision. Kind of is on? right. Like he hasn't really yeah, been he's doing. Been, he's been kind of on the outs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that. There was that Amazon Prime show that didn't get second season, and uh, that's been about yeah. it, right? That's been it. Um, yeah, he did the Romanoffs, which was kind of like an anthology. Um, so, yeah, I guess we could move on. To, <laughs> I mean, to put a put a stink in the air, but uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? Um, okay. I do. I do also like when Roger uh, says it down. He's just like, "You're so secretive." It's like I. I kind of like it, it's. It's sort of like how I feel sometimes with Don. It's just like, "Ah, oh, come on, open up a little bit." He does open up eventually, and I think part of the reason he does is because like after what happens with Jimmy and then what Freddie says to him kind of shakes him. I think he's starting to like. Oh, I think the dr- alcohol is helping too. But he starts to say things more that he probably wouldn't risk. Like he mentions his dad. You know, just, he says, "Oh, that was a real Archibald." Whitman maneuver, but of course it's like oh, I just some hothead drunk I used to know, but yeah, like in a sober mind, in a different state of mind, Don would not say something like that. He would not take that risk. Yeah, no way. He says even just the name. I, that that was like uh, I thought we were actually going to get more out of Don. Like once he started talking about Archibald, uh, but then all you get is I'm staying at the Roosevelt, just like fuck you, Don. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's funny too because the Roger's response is, "Well, that's a start," and Don's like, "Nah, motherfucker, that's everything you're getting." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and even before they have that whole conversation, um, when when Freddie says, "Like, if I don't go into that office every day, who am I?" Um, you can tell that that messes with Don. He doesn't have an answer. And Matthew Weiner has said that, like, that question, that entire sentiment, is this show. Like, that is what this entire show is getting at. Of like the person who, like, if they don't have this like environment this office this thing that they're building then what is their identity and i think that's something we should uh, keep in mind as we progress through the show because it's going to continue to evolve as a question and we have to pay attention i think to like well sometimes 
what are the characters' answers to that question? How do they change? And, and so on. So we've already covered a lot of the rest of this. I, I guess like we have the whole thing where Don says, you know, he, he gives kind of advice to Roger. And again, in this case, like Don's not really talking about Roger. He's talking about himself. You know, he's not, he's not really saying that Roger should leave Mona. Like He's just kind of talking about how he feels like he needs to move forward uh, because it's his life. And I think when you don't have that honesty and you're sort of like treating your friends like uh, with therapy, you kind of get these misunderstandings because then sure enough, Roger takes what he says and then leaves Mona for Jane and Mona like chews Don out for it, rightfully so. But you can tell too that like Don doesn't, can't even defend himself because he's not going to reveal like what he really meant when he said that, because then he'd have to, you know, admit to Mona, you know, that like something's going on with his marriage. And so uh, I, I find that all very interesting. That's why I think like the end of the episode is so much stronger for me because it just feels like all of this stuff is like really, I don't know, just there's way more like meaning and nuance to everything that's going on that uh, is really clicking for me. Right on. I get it. Did you feel, okay, Will, you didn't cry when sure. Sally, you know, hugged your dad because she felt like she was losing him, which I thought was weird that you didn't cry. Sure. But did you cry when Don shut the door on Roger? No. His friend? You didn't cry? Nope. Did you feel anything? I was like, that was that was a good episode of Mad Men. Time <laughs> to record an episode yeah, yeah. of Mad Men Men. Uh, Jane, he wants Jane off his desk, so the... The search for a, a secretary, you know, continues. That's uh, three secretaries so far in one season. Wow. Mm. Um, and that that is the episode. Uh, it ends with Marilyn Monroe uh, singing I'm Through With Love, um, which uh, was obviously very intentional. Um, very melancholy song for Marilyn Monroe, which I appreciate. But uh, yeah, before we get to trivia, was there anything else that you guys wanted to tie off? Uh, no, I mean, I, I wanted to say with the Marilyn Monroe thing, like I think... Uh, when we did extra milestone for some like it hot, we kind of talked about how it's easier when you look back on Marilyn Monroe's performances, like knowing the tragedy of her life, that's easier to kind of see that mm -hmm. sadness, but it's, it's very easy to kind of not see that at the time. You can be sympathetic to why that wasn't so apparent in her performances. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's something I really appreciate about this episode. I mean, even when, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was always super elegant about kind of incorporating the Marilyn Monroe story, but I felt it, it was a nice kind of tie together along with the, uh, the Freddie storyline. And it was, uh, yeah, even if it is a little messy, I thought it complemented the show. Well, I mean, it continues the show's search to figure out like, can you find that separation between work and home life? Is it always going to be sort of interchangeable? Uh, even having a blood drive at work, you know, literally giving your blood at work, I thought it was a very kind of pointed touch for that, uh, reoccurring theme and uh yeah i thought it was uh stronger than you gave a credit john but uh, i can understand your criticisms i think i just wanted to clarify i don't know if i was super clear with how i was discussing it i think freddie rumson has a big dick <laughs> i think you're right uh i i would i would go to bat for that uh that theory big dick freddie <laughs> let's do trivia then um so according to matthew weiner and I think this is something that's been brought up before, but I don't know if we've mentioned it. So the stairs on that set that in the Draper house, they don't actually lead to the bedroom bedrooms that you see in the show. Uh, they, uh, those bedrooms are on a totally different set. Um, so that's something that's actually clarified in this uh, in this episode in the commentary. Uh, something else. Uh, so Wieners talked a lot about uh, how they chose. He said that he's heard a lot of stories about 
people peeing their pants like in the office and so he's always wanted to include that in the show um because apparently it, it did happen like in real life you know people getting and it, you can understand it like people getting day drunk and then so like drunk that obviously it creates uh some incontinence if you will i just imagine like he you know how you have like those like little like note cards that you like put on to like build an episode you know, like kind of mm-hmm. like tie it all together. I just imagine he has like one that he's written since season one, just like pee pants question mark. And like, he's like proposing <laughs> it for each episode. Like, no, not that one. And then like, we finally got to this one. It's like, could it be, could this be the one? This is it. This is the episode yeah. where it all comes together. You of know? course, the, um, the note card is yellow for the significance of it. <laughs> right, know? right. Well, it has yeah. to be. Yeah. 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 Um, and they probably put like a couple of drops, droplets of water on it. How cool would it be if it was practical? I would respect <laughs> well, the shit out of that guy. It was not practical. Uh, well, it was practical in the sense, like, it wasn't his real pee, but they used a tube. Uh, so that's part of the trivia as well. Similar to Red in the Face, when uh, say, they used that for Roger's vomit. It's like, bring back the tube. Yeah, yeah, get that tube out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of which, that scene took three to four hours to shoot. The, the scene in the office. Just that, like, what is it, like, two and a half minutes, if that. Um, but yeah, that it was, uh, apparently a lot. So like, you can tell, like they had to do a lot of makeup for Joel Murray to, cause he looks all sweaty and rattled. And it was probably really hard to keep the takes consistent for him to like, to have that flow, that seamless flow of like, he's still, you know, in his ragged state. Right. And then also, uh, just, I kind of already mentioned this before, but it was like a, a specific directing choice from Michael Uppendahl to show Don getting ambushed by Duck and Pete in the meeting, but we don't see who it is until he sits down. And that was like a very purposeful thing. Uh, wasn't just sort of like a, you know, happenstance. And then uh, there's that whole thing where uh, Freddie says like, my dad would open up a map and then uh, just point to it and be like, Memphis, who wants to live in Memphis? Uh, not me. I, 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 sorry, I love that delivery. Because <laughs> um, he's like really getting into a story. But the whole idea of like opening a map and picking a location to move was actually uh, a story that a friend told Weiner um, that his dad used to do uh, in the 1930s or wherever it was. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, you know, would you guys do that? Point to a map and just be like, Pittsburgh? I don't know. Who would want to live in Pittsburgh? <laughs> not me. <laughs> would be fun, yeah. Seattle. Um, if, if it was the 30s and, you know, apartments cost $2 for like a nine year lease. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'd do it. <laughs> sure. Uh, Michael Uppendahl also said that uh, the original line that he, I uh, think he had, or I think, I think the original line that Matt had before he changed it instead of Memphis was, uh, I'll never leave Manhattan. Um, but he says he's, he said he's like glad that Matt changed it because it was a little bit more giving flavor to, to Freddie, like not just like a typical New Yorker, which is, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so the ad, we already actually mentioned this, but the address that Freddie Brumson gives the cab driver when they leave the casino is 152 Riverside Drive, which, first of all, Riverside is the podcasting software we use. That's fun. Uh, but also, it's the same address that Joe Fox, played by Tom Hanks, gives in You've Got Mail. Uh, that uh, It's kind of a funny, I don't know if it's coincidence or just one of those addresses that gets tossed around because, you know, that's like a little wink and a nod to other things. Uh, since that is also a New York movie. Uh, although I did find it kind of weird uh, that Freddie tells him his apartment number. <laughs> it's like, why does a cab driver need to know that? Uh, that was strange. Because um, he's drunk. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that's the only way to put it. He doesn't even seem that drunk, though, when um, they're leaving. Like, he seems like the most sober of the group, which, you know, kind of speaks to what you were saying before, right? 
That's just because he's always drunk at work, and that's only how you've seen him. So yeah, yeah exactly, I'm sure yeah. he seemed normal to you, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, have you guys ever gotten drunk at work before? Yep, yep. You? Wow, I was not expecting two yups, and a, that's a no for me, Doc. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I've done, I've gotten buzzed at work. Um, never drunk. Didn't have like a Christmas um, party. Yeah, well. Hmm? Never had like a Christmas party or yeah, but I've got drunk at those. Like we, that is a you oh, know, man. I've, to me being drunk times. around coworkers is not a good idea. Mm-mm, no, thank you. Um, I did I did consider getting drunk the during the Nixon Kennedy uh, election, uh, but everybody was getting drunk. I work in sales, John. It's the one part of Mad Men that I really connect with. You really do got to keep up with people uh joel murray uh has also said that the the guy driving the cab wasn't even an actor he was just renting the cab uh so i thought that was kind of funny and he said that uh the guy was apparently having the best time on set and so i was like man what are that must be what it's like to have will ashen as an extra he's probably just you know happy to be there you know (laughs) it's like cheese cubes a whole table of food (laughs) talk about my birthday (laughs) uh the scene where don and roger are the last people in the bar was actually shot at three in the morning so like nice little authenticity there um and that whole thing where john ham uh or the whole thing where john slattery like punches don in the arm apparently right after they cut uh john ham punched john slattery in retaliation <laughs> um which he's, he's done that a bunch in the show like uh you know there's, there's a history of ham sort of roughhousing with slattery a bit oh uh, uh, i thought you were gonna say just him punching because yeah i saw jimmy barrett yeah there's a lot of punching in this episode yeah <laughs> um yeah including floyd the champ yeah um who uh oh i forgot to mention that he it's funny because how they mention he's just like he's not gonna lose he would never lose but he loses to sonny liston i think like a month after this um in 1962 so because he's, he's like getting toward the end of his career if i want to say because he was more prominent in the 50s but uh and then the last thing i have here uh john slattery has said you kind of notice that like uh don is like kind of like he's not as clean shaven already and john slattery has said that like ham has had to shave like five times a day which is actually not that much of an embellishment (laughs) um because he just you know no wonder we get so many scenes of don shaving it's it's probably like because john ham is just like yeah i gotta shave anyway and we gotta shoot this scene let's go and that's it for trivia i'm jealous i wish my face here grew that fast i could just be like Have a full beard. Yeah, I only I only shave like once a week. Wow. And like I could shave every day, but I don't mind having a bit of stubble. There you go. But you know, it's like once it starts to get like you know a little prickly, that's when I'm like, all right, I'll shave. Fine. How often do you shave, Mike? Because you got a nice little like you look pretty like like you you trim it, you like even it out. It looks like you know you have a whole routine. I do, I do. It's uh, it's not like a routine where like I do it like every day or so. It's like. If I look in the mirror and realize I need it, and yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a number three, like razor through everything. And then I clean up like the stash and the lines and everything. Yeah. Like Hannah comes in, sits down. It's just like, don't worry. I won't talk. <laughs> You're just like, no, she talks. <laughs> uh, for, for those who forgot that that's a, a reference to, I think two episodes ago, I'm going to say, but all right, next week we are going to talk about, let me bring it up. Um, I forget the name of the episode, but I will have it here in a second. The Inheritance, okay. episode 10. And I don't remember if I like this episode. I don't think I do. I, I think I, I'm in the this, this zone of this season where I'm just, I'm struggling a bit, but yeah. 
I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, Will you at least? Uh, and I think you too, Mike, to some extent, are liking this last couple episodes because uh, yeah, we, it's better than the alternative. We have three left this season, right? We have four. Mm-hmm. Four. Uh, okay. So the, oh. Yeah. So we have the inheritance. After that, we'll talk about the jet set, and then the mountain king, and then the last episode of the season is meditations in an emergency. All right. So lots to come up. But uh, thank you as always for listening, and uh, we'll we'll see you after we watch the next episode of Mad Men. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.